listen. Let your Aunt Kim give you some advice. My little niece turned one today. Rory? Just... Happy birthday. Happy birthday. Just stop at like 25. Because once you get past that, everything starts hurting. So there's there's your advice from your old Aunt Kim. Hello, welcome to An Hour of Your Life. My name is Kim. And my name is Steve. And this week is probably going to be one of the most educational... (laughs) Educational... I got a harumph from over there the other side of the table. (laughs) One of the most educational podcasts that we have done, and probably one of the most important that everyone needs to pay attention to to understand. It is really important. I I don't. It is very educational. Um, It's it's maybe not the most exciting, but it is very important. And it is it you know it might start off a little slow, but it's going to pick up. I promise. Well, I I took out. As much of the technical and the facts and figures as I can. I know you did. Could, so it could be understood. I no, I think it'll, it'll be good. It ha- that has to be in there to, to make it understood. So it's been an interesting week this week, though. We've it had certainly has. Freezing weather, except for today. It was like, what, 60? I think it got up to about 60, and, but we had to drive down to Lexington. Yeah, that's true. So um, we went south. So there was extreme Arctic air. It affected millions of people across the United States. Uh, let's see. What else happened this week? Oh, we had the release of the Tyree Nichols video by the Memphis Police Department. And uh, I would like to, you know, give give um, condolences to Tyree Nichols' family. And also, um, I was just really glad to see that people protested peacefully. Everything remained peaceful. And it's a big shout out to the family, the mother, the family requesting that. Yes. And thank you to everyone who honored that request. Absolutely. We also had Chinese spy balloons floating over oh, the continental United States. The memes have been unbelievable. And I've been a part of them. I'm sure you have. <laughs> means. Yeah. Well, anyway, they shot down the Chinese balloon. So yeah. that's, that's it creating... It took forever to fall. Do you guys watch that? It's uh, so we watched it. This like, is 60, 65,000 feet. It so, like, I took a two hour nap. I woke up and it was still falling. Kim, <laughs> so, Kim, what? Can I, that was on a loop. <laughs> it took a long time. <laughs> it still took a long it took time. took a long time yeah. to fall. But anyway, we got politicians arguing over everything in the world. They're blaming each other. One party blames this party. One party blames that party. So so it's a pretty typical week it's a pre- in politics, essentially. In politics, except for the Chinese spy balloon. Yeah, well. But anyway. We should probably get to today's episode because we got a lot to cover so? today. Yes, we do. So we kind of talked about this before in episode 93, which was Doomsday. Ooh. But this week we're going to get into more detail about the power grid here in the United States. Like I said, just stick with us because I know that doesn't sound like a very exciting topic, but it actually is really interesting. It is exciting. And uh, uh, it's informative and it's stuff that you really probably should know. So we're going to break this down into five parts. First, we're going to talk about the different ways electricity is produced, which that's the the part that just... It's a little dry. Yeah, it's a little dry, but stick with us. Like I said, I, I sanitized it. I it's, sanitized yeah, it, and I'm it, sure Kim will ask questions as we go. Maybe. Second, we're going to talk about the power grid. Third, we're going to talk... Uh, 
about the uh, the history of the system, of the power grid system in the United States. Fourth, we're going to talk about the vulnerabilities of the grid. That'll which, be interesting. Which goes back to episode 93, mm-hmm. kind of, which we'll touch on that. And finally, we're going to talk about a specific power plant down near Cincinnati, Ohio, and the story of that, which we happen to drive by. We went out of our way today to drive by it. And we I took pulled, a picture of it. It'll be I up pulled on the off website. the highway and I took a picture of it. Safely took a picture of it. Yes, I did. So the United States uses many different energy sources and technologies to generate electricity. The sources and technologies have changed over time and some are used more often than others. The three major categories of energy for electricity generation are fossil fuels like coal, natural gas, petroleum, nuclear energy, and renewable energy sources. Think like solar and wind power. Most electricity is generated with steam turbines using fossil fuels, nuclear, biomass, geothermal, and solar thermal energy. That's the sun. That that is, you're right. Good job. Other major electricity generation technologies include gas turbines, (laughs) hydro turbines, wind turbines, and solar photovoltaics. Solar I don't know what any solar, of that. What did solar we just, cells. I have no idea what I just said. Solar cells. Okay. Like how we're, the, the, the lights on the back porch keep charged up. That, uh, listen, I sincerely hope that the power grid of the United States has solar cells more powerful than the ones in our backyard because half the time our lights don't work. That's, yeah. Well, there, there's <laughs> reasons for that. Anyway, uh, can you tell who... Did the research and put this one together. I mean, listen. (laughs) So anyway, fossil fuels are the largest source of energy for electricity generation. Natural gas was the largest source, being about 38% of the U.S. electricity generation in 2021. Natural gas is, uh, it's used in steam turbines and gas turbines to generate the electricity. Coal was the second largest energy source for the United States electricity generation also in 2021, about 22% of our electricity came from coal. Nearly all coal-fired power plants use steam turbines. So they, they heat the coal, it turns the, creates the steam, and that turns the turbines. That's how they generate the electricity. Do we? I know we import gas. Do we import coal? I wouldn't think we would need to, really. I don't, I don't think so. We have a lot of it. Yeah. A few coal-fired power—well— Without getting too technical in that, we have here a grade of coal called subbituminous, which is primo for generating electricity. Okay. That's all we need to know. That's anthra- all we need to know. You need anthracite to make steel, Stop. but subbituminous coal is it's like great. Steve majored in college. This was his major in college was mining reclamation and energy. So like he knows if you need to know about coal, that's your man right there. I will, my eyes will glaze over though. If he goes on much further. Okay. Petroleum was a source of less than 1% of the United States electricity, electricity generation in 2021 residual fuel oil and petroleum coke are used in steam turbines what also. Is, what is coke? Coke is essentially a byproduct of coal that it's it's very hard, very dense, and it has taken the impurities out. It's coke is what's used to make steel. Hmm. Okay. All right. So 
Diesel or fuel oil is used in diesel engine generators. Residual fuel oil can also be burned in gas turbines. Now, nuclear energy was the source of about 19% of U.S. electricity generation in 2021. Nuclear power plants use steam turbines to produce electricity from nuclear fission. Um, A lot of renewable energy sources are used to generate electricity. They were the source of about 20% of the U.S. electricity generation in 2021. Hydropower plants produced about 6.3% of the total U.S. electricity generation and about 31.5% of electricity generation from renewable energy in 2021. Hydropower plants, just like what you would imagine, use flowing water to spin a turbine that's connected to a generator. Hoover Dam. So, yeah, and almost, I think of it almost like those, um, like the old mills where they had like the big water wheel to grind wheat. Like, that's a really simple, I think very of, simple. I think of Hoover Dam. I mean, that too, but it's a, right? Isn't that like a pretty much very simple version of hydroelectric or could, hydro? They could generate hydropower. They could generate See? electricity out of that. I'm yes, not dumb. Wind energy was the source of about 9.2% of total U.S. electricity generation and about 46% of electricity generation from renewable energy in 2021. Wind turbines, which I actually really like, convert wind energy into electricity. I don't know how they do it, but they do. Essentially, that what they do is the wind blows and those big propellers spin. It generates electricity right there and and then it's transmitted to a storage area that's what i'm saying like i don't know how you generate electricity from wind i don't know the just like just like a generator in the car the turbine or the wind blows it makes those big propellers spin and there's a generator which produces electricity like an electric and then it's transmitted through lines to a storage area i'm just not smart when it comes to this kind of stuff History, I got you. Social things, I we're good. Music. Music, I'm fine. Science of this sort, not not my field. This is this is your jam. Anyway, biomass, which is basically re, reused organic matter, essentially, um, was the source of about 1.3% of total U.S. electricity generation and about 6.7% of electricity generation from renewable energy in 2021. Yeah. Have, have you ever seen those trucks that go around and collect the like from the oil dumps at the restaurants? They collect that stuff up, and that's the biomass. Interesting. Yeah. There, it That's burned directly in steam electric power p- plants. Or it can be converted to a gas that can be burned in steam generators, gas turbines, or internal combustion engine generators. Solar energy provided about 2.8% of the total U.S. electricity and about 13.5% of electricity generation from renewable energy in 2021. And if you've ever driven down the highway and you see these, a a lot of uh, buildings or factories, you'll see these solar fields set up mm-hmm. where there's just acres and acres and acres of these solar fields set up. So you seem more out west, I think. You don't really seem too much here toward the east coast. It in the Midwest. I, the, I generally think of those as like being in flatter, more western parts of the country. Well, Great Plains I, area. I, you have to look. They're they're around, but it's you know like behind the buildings, like if they have a couple acres of land, they'll put it out there and it 
it saves them energy. But we'll talk about that a little bit later about All right. saving the energy. All right. Where was I? Oh, yeah. Solar panels and solar thermal power are the two main types of uh, solar electricity generation technologies. PV or photovoltaic cells conversion produces electricity directly from sunlight in those photocells that you see that we were just talking about. Most solar thermal power systems use steam engines to generate electricity. Geothermal power plants produce about 0.4% of the total U.S. electricity generation and about 2% of electricity generation from renewable energy in 2021. Geothermal power plants use steam turbines to generate electricity. So they, they they store it up, it turns the turbines. It's it's the same process. It's just the fuel of how they're going to make those turbines turn. Okay. Our electrical grid system here, it's a complex system where electricity is generated at centralized power plants and then decentralized units and it's transported through a system of substations, transformers, transmission lines, distribution lines that deliver the final product, the electric, to the end user or us. So, you know, you see the those big high power tension lines, they're carrying the electricity and then it there's it steps down like what happens over here behind our house mm-hmm. and then it's converted into the electric that we need and it's Pumped into our house. So, I mean, it's it's pretty complex. And yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Since large amounts of electricity cannot be stored, it's got to be produced as it's used. So, these, the AC can't be, I'll get into that later. <laughs> it's, yeah, it's not like a big battery, although that technology is kind of here now. According to the United States Energy Information Administration, or the EIA, the U.S. power grid, is made up of about 7,300 power plants, about 160,000 miles of high-voltage lines, millions of miles of low-voltage lines. That's the one that comes like into your house right there. And uh, distribution transformers connecting 145 million customers throughout the country. Now, this was current as of 2016. That was a lot. That's a lot. That's a lot of information. Yeah. So you basically, it. okay. So basically, fossil fuels are number one, with uh, natural gas and coal making up fifty percent of our energy use. Yep. So that's that's basically what we just said. Yeah, and we'll talk about that at the end about pluses and minuses of. Okay. We'll talk about EV cars and Ooh, okay. the grid. The we'll get to it. All right. So let's talk now about the actual grid itself. We know what kind of electricity we're talking about. Let's talk about the electrical power grid. Yeah, despite despite wherever it's made or however it's made, it gets into the system, into the grid. That sounds like matrix type of stuff. (laughs) The electrical grid that powers North America is not a single grid, but it's divided into multiple wide area synchronous grids. A vast network of power plants, transmission lines, distribution centers together make up that electric grid like what Steve was just mentioning. It constantly balances the supply and demand for the energy that powers everything from industry to household appliances. Out of sight for most, the grid usually only comes to public attention due to large-scale failures 
like the blackouts that struck Texas early in 2021. You know what I'm thinking right now? Christmas vacation when Clark uh, he plugs it in in the whole neighborhood. And the guy yeah. goes to emergency power and yeah. flips it up. Okay. And that's what we're talking about. There you it, go. It's not stored. It's you based it. on yep. the use that's going on right now. There are two major synchronized grids in North America, and these are called the Eastern Interconnection and the Western Interconnection. So Clever name. How, how did they come up with that? In addition to that, there are three minor power grids in North America, the Alaska Interconnection, the Texas Interconnection, and the Quebec Interconnection. So there's... I wonder where those are based. Alaska, Texas, and Quebec. No, it's 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 the grid. There's not one place. It's the grid. Yeah. That's there. Okay. okay. So it's not like one building that's the Quebec interconnection. Yeah. Okay. okay. The eastern, western, and Texas interconnections are tied together at various points with the um, with direct current interconnects allowing electrical power to be transmitted throughout the contiguous United States, Canada, and parts of uh, Mexico. Are we going to talk about AC and DC? Yeah, I'll get into that. And how, um, whoever it was, was it Edison that used to like try to electrocute elephants? I'll, well, I'm not going to talk about that, but <laughs> we'll get into AC, DC when, okay. we get, when we get to the history. Okay. The Eastern Interconnection is one of two major alternating currents electrical grids in North America. All of the electrical um, utilities in the Eastern Connection are electrically tied together during normal systems conditions and operate at synchronized frequency of 60 hertz. So you see like in your appliances, it's like a 60 hertz appliance. That's what that means. So it's all got to be stepped down and converted to 60 hertz because you can't have it running it. It'll, it'll, it'll fry, fry stuff. The Eastern interconnection reaches from central Canada eastward to the Atlantic coast, excluding Quebec, south to Florida and back west to the foot of the Rockies excluding most of Texas. The eastern interconnection is uh, is tied to the western connection with seven DC or direct current ties and one in Canada to the Texas interconnection and to the Quebec interconnection. So really what we got to get out of all this, the system's tied together. No matter how they do it, all these systems are tied. So if one system needs power, these other systems that the electric can be Push through the system to get where it needs. All right. It's amazing stuff. In 2009, the Trace Amiga Superstation, in my limited Spanish, I know that means the Three Friends Superstation, <laughs> three for a reason, was planned to connect the Eastern one, the Western two, and the Texas Interconnections three. Ah. Therefore, Trace Amigas, the Three Friends. That's, nice. That's my knowledge of there Spanish. There you go. Yay. Okay. Anyway, as of 2021, Construction has not started on the Trace Amigas Superstation. And it was planned in 2009? They've been... Yay! They've been, they've been government a, bureaucracy! They've been planning a bridge next to the Brent's, Brent's, Brett Brent's, Brent Spence Brent. Bridge. I never thought of that as a tongue twister. For years. It's ridiculous. It's ridiculous. Anyway... Anyway, the Western Interconnection is the other major alternating current power grid in North America. All of the electric utilities in the Western Interconnection are electrically tied together during normal system conditions and operate at a synchronized frequency of 60 hertz. The Western Interconnection stretches from Western Canada south to Baja, California, and Mexico. 
reaching eastward over the Rockies to the Great Plains. The Texas Interconnection is one of three minor alternating current power grids in North America. All of the electric utilities in Texas interconnection are electrically tied together during normal system conditions. The Texas interconnection covers most of the state of Texas. There is one AC tie switch in Dayton, Texas. Dayton. There's a Dayton, Texas? Yeah. That's cool. We I should be buddies. That Dayton pizza that has been used only one time in its history after Hurricane Ike. And Which why is Hurricane... Dayton, Ohio. Yeah, and we lost our power for, for about seven or eight days. Other Dayton, you need to step it up. Yep. The Quebec interconnection is one of three. The other is the other third minor alternating current electrical grid. Um, it covers the province of Quebec and uh, connects eighteen systems in the U.S. and Canada to one electric u- utility company, Hydro Quebec. It's operated as an independent AC grid for physical reasons, and it is tied to the Eastern interconnection. The Alaska Interconnection is one of the other three minor alternating AC grids in North America. Um, it is composed of two grids isolated from each other and from the rest of North American grids. It's way up there. All right. So all right. there so, we go. That's yeah. all your background information. Now we're going to get into the interesting stuff. Into the good stuff. And we'll thank we'll, you for being patient. And we'll, we'll, we'll get into AC and DC if you don't know. I have a really good story about that. Okay. The U.S. electric grid dates back to 1882, the year that Thomas Edison unveiled the country's first power plant at the Pearl Station, Pearl Street Station in Lower Manhattan. While the grid has expanded from Edison's original 59 customers to hundreds of millions of users, for decades, its basic structure has remained pretty much the same. Hmm. It's, it's been like that since Thomas Edison. 1882. Yep. So this is a good place to lay out some more history right here. And we're going to talk a lot about like AC and DC and why this is. So Edison was a fan of DC or direct current. Westinghouse promoted the uh, alternating current. And Tesla. Westinghouse and Nikola Tesla. Okay, yeah. And uh, there there was a lot of competition because there was a lot of money to be made depending on which system, you know, do we use AC or do we use DC? This is my story time. Can I tell my story? I'm so excited about it. Okay. Uh, no, wait, let me, let me finish <gasps> this part. Okay. The fundamental difference between AC and DC electricity is that DC flows steadily in one direction. That's why we call it direct current. And it doesn't change over time while AC or alternating current oscillates back and forth. And that's why we have the term alternating current because it goes back and forth and it constantly changes with time. So go ahead. Tell okay, your story. So there's actually two stories. So a uh, beautiful film actress, Hedy Lamar actually used AC to create primitive Wi-Fi back in the day. And because she was so pretty, like she tried to give it to the Navy in what world war two. Yeah. World war two. And because, but she was like pretty and a movie star. And so they didn't think that she was smart enough. And they so, took her as the dumb blonde. Yeah. And so they didn't like, they were like, whatever, you don't know anything. And then later on, many, many years later, they did use her invention and her like methods of doing things. And it was basically the precursor to Wi-Fi. So in a sense, Hedy Lamar invented Wi-Fi using AC current. She patented that and gave the information, gave developed the technology and gave it to the Navy and never made a penny off all that. Yeah. But also 
DC current. So the reason why it was kind of the standard, one of the reasons that it was kind of the standard was because Edison patented it. And so he was living large off of the royalties. So he did not want AC current to like become a thing. So what he did, and this is so bad, like I, it's horrible. Well, okay. So, he electrocuted live animals on film, including Topsy the Elephant in 1903 on film at the, I think it was the London Zoo, used AC current to electrocute like these giant animals to show how dangerous AC current was. So DC current, it's not as, it's, it's not as dangerous. So like battery, it's direct current. Like you can put your two fingers at each end of the battery. You're not going to get shocked. Alternating current can kill an elephant. Yeah, just stick a penny in the light socket and see what happens to you. So that's what that's yeah. what he did. He killed Edison killed several animals, and to prove how to show that how dangerous AC current was. Yeah, and he would like video not videotape it. I mean, he there's you can find it if you look on the internet. You can find the film footage of him electrocuting Topsy the elephant in 1903 to show how dangerous DC current was. That's but, my story. Yeah. But the major problem for Edison's DC electricity was it couldn't be transmitted over long distances. And I'm not going to get into the boring stuff of why, but just take it. It can't be transmitted over long distances without a lot of pushing to make it go there. Okay. So as a result, Edison's systems required a, his power plant required, um, his system required a power plant about every mile or so. That's that pushing it to keep it going. Mm. Well, that works pretty good in like places like New York City where people are concentrated. It wasn't the best system to use across the country yeah. where there's long, long distances. So um, it just wasn't it just wasn't practical. So the inventors of the late nineteenth century, they understood how to make transformers, but that the problem here is transformers only work on alternating current and they didn't work on DC current. So they couldn't, it was like build a power plant or we can use this much cheaper thing with the transformers and push the electricity around the country like it needs, like they wanted it to be done. Hmm. So at that time, there wasn't any easy method for changing the voltage of DC electricity and from DC to AC. And that's what kind of doomed, um, Edison's plan right here mm. because it just couldn't be done. Since there was no way to increase the voltage of DC electricity before transmission, DC electricity couldn't travel far enough without major losses in the in the power lines. So it was inferior to AC systems. Gotcha. Yeah. I hope that was clear. Sucks to suck, Thomas Edison. Yeah. So it wasn't until much later that engineers developed. So you've heard Kim talk about, and let's talk about, some of these uh, these switching stations, these stations are transmitted AC or DC. Mm. Well, okay, so, so they, yeah, so yeah. they yeah. So it wasn't it. it wasn't until much later that the engineers developed the technology that could be used to efficiently efficiently convert AC to DC. A lot of you have these in your car right now. They're basically it's like an inverter where you can plug a device, your computer or something like that into a regular plug in the car, yeah. an inverter. We have one in we Clementine. We do have one. Yeah. And it converts the DC from your battery to AC that can run light bulbs. It can run, you know, whatever, whatever you want to plug into it. Pretty sweet. Yep. 
Well, because of this new technology, it became a little bit more efficient to convert AC to DC, which helped to bring in the air of um, high-voltage DC transmission lines, which hadn't been possible, since now high-voltage DC transmission has lower energy losses than AC over very long distances. The world's largest transmission lines now use DC electricity. So, for example, the United States has an 846-mile high-voltage DC transmission line connecting Washington and Oregon to Southern California. In the United States in the 1920s, utilities formed joint operations to share peak load coverage and backup power. So, you know, the grid's getting connected now. In 1934, with the passage of the Public Utility Holding Company Act in the United States, electric utilities were recognized as public goods of importance and were given um, outlined restrictions and regulatory oversight of their operations. So basically, Uncle Sam now is getting involved in the transmission. Doesn't he always? Yeah. Yeah. Of, of the train. So from 1967, the East and West interconnections were directly connected together. However, the AC ties did not have enough high capacity and were subject to the oscillation, and so their connection proved unreliable. In 1975, the AC ties were disconnected because DC ties now were found to work much more reliably. The Energy Policy Act of 1992 required transmission line owners to allow electric generation companies open access to their network and led to a restructuring of how the electric industry operated in an effort to create competition in power generation. Mm -hmm. No longer were electric utilities built as vertical monopolies where generation, transmission, distribution were handled by a single company. Now, the three stages could be split among various companies in an effort to provide fair accessibility to high-voltage transmission. The Energy Policy Act of 2005 allowed incentives and loan guarantees for alternative energy production and to advance innovative technologies that had avoided greenhouse emissions. So, there are vulnerabilities with our, with our grid system. Extreme weather events and um, cyber attacks have gotten a lot of, you know, the, what happened in Texas, what, last winter, and cyber attacks. I uh, wish and, I could and, remember. There's and, a book that I saw at the library, and I almost checked it out, and I didn't. So if you are familiar with this book, um, please write into us and let us know, because I would really like to read it. It was like an end-of-the-world book where basically the world ended by a terrorist attack of, um, what are those bombs called? EMP. Yes. It was like an EMP terrorist attack and it just totally wiped out, completely destroyed the United States energy system. Episode nine, episode, pff, episode 93. Three? Yeah. Yeah. So there's, there's an, like a, Doomsday. like a fictional novel about it. And I wish that I had read it, but they could read that book or they could listen to episode 93. Well, but it's fiction. That one's fiction. Okay. So episode 93 is for real. The rise of renewable energy and so-called distributed generation or the ability of individual homes and businesses to produce their own power has placed the traditional grid under increasing pressure. Now, this is some pretty weird stuff, and it's where business and regulation kind of take over. And I feel like this is ripe for your conspiracy theories. Yeah. It's 
losing customers at the same so the, the the power companies are losing customers at the same time that its aging infrastructure requires a major and very expensive overhaul so a sweeping infrastructure law was passed in late 2021 and provides about 65 billion dollars for grid improvements i mean the united states we recognize the vulnerabilities in the system mm-hmm. we better we better do something <laughs> about fix it. it so basically um Fossil fuels are about 60% of the nation's power. Nuclear power is about 20% of our power. What we what we talked about earlier, we can break it down basically very simply. Electricity is sent across long distances using high-voltage transmission lines. Local facilities known as substations convert that high-voltage power to a lower voltage and then send it out to the homes and businesses. Due to the <laughs> high cost of const- um, constructing all this infrastructure, Electricity transmission and distribution is considered a natural monopoly, meaning that only a company large enough to control an entire market will generally be able to afford the the necessary investments. So even too large to fail. Yeah. So even though they kind of broke it up, that you know it doesn't have to be the same company that generates the electricity, then converts it, then steps it down to the homes and businesses. It doesn't have to all be the same company, but there are so like it's so expensive to do all of that that it almost naturally is going to be the same company well, or there are co- so few people that can you know so few companies that can get into the game yeah steve and kim are not going to start their own electric company. we are not okay i wish we could but we are not uh, as a result most ener- energy utilities are granted monopoly control over a local market with the mandate the mandate to provide low-cost reliable energy as a public good. And that's why we have, like here in the Dayton area, well, we had Dayton Power and Light provided our energy. Now we have AES. And I think that stands for American uh, Energy, energy system, system or something, something. like that. Yeah. I don't know. It, the bill just comes. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, right. So to enforce this mandate, utilities are either publicly owned or more commonly heavily regulated by state regulatory commissions that set the price utilities are permitted to charge their customers the customers, because I saw in Ohio you have the Public Utilities Commission. Yeah. So if if AES wants to raise the rates, they have to go to the Public Utilities Commission and request a, and justify why they need. They can't just price gouge us because yeah, they can. Because they can, yeah. Yeah. Now, the increased use of renewable energy poses challenges for grid operators. So, for example, the variability of the wind and sunlight make forecasting the supply and demand of electricity more difficult. That's why your lights out back don't work all the time. Because they're weak um, and it's often shady, cloudy. The increasing number of households installing their own energy sources also presents issues. This is pretty crazy right here. Well, and this is like what you were saying. It's like a lose-lose situation for the energy companies. But they're going to get their money. Oh, yeah, I bet they are. In contrast with the grid's original one-way economic model, decentralized form of energy production known as distributed generation are on the rise. Solar power production, including from home installations, has grown exponentially over the past decade, producing enough energy to power more than 23 million homes. So that's money the electric company is not getting. But they will get you. Yes. Um, If you remember our friend Steffi that we had on a while back, Steffi makes her own energy, but she still has to pay a portion of, um, like she has to basically pay a fine. A subsidy. 
for, yeah, it's, it's essentially a fine for making her own solar energy. Otherwise, it would cost... Because the Monopoly... Yep. Monopoly need, boy, I'm having tongue twisters it's tonight. A, it's a night. The Monopoly are... They, they want the money. They got to get their money. Yep. So, to stay in business for everyone else is what they'll say. Yeah. So this trend is actually expected to continue. Um, like the electric car and clean energy company Tesla uh, sells battery systems and solar panels packaged together as an alternative to the traditional grid. And they're actually not that expensive. We've looked at them before and they're not that pricey. And you can get federal grants yep. to, to install All some kinds of this stuff. Of stuff. Yeah. Utilities worry that um, distributed generation threatens their viability, particularly through the policy of net metering. That's what we've been saying. I mean, what, what is net metering? So it's complicated, but under net metering, which was first adopted by Minnesota in 1983, regulators require that utilities buy any excess power back from solar users at the full retail rate of electricity. Utilities argue that by receiving the full retail price of electricity, those users effectively avoid paying for grid upkeep, even though the vast majority of homes and businesses that use distributed generation still rely on the grid, using it at times when the sun isn't shining or the wind isn't blowing. Those customers should still have to contribute, utilities say. And I would venture to say that one of their reliable, like a good argument is that even if you are generating your own energy at home through renewable energy sources, you are still taking advantage of the city's energy by when you shop or when you use um, traffic lights or whatever. So you should maybe have to pay for that portion that you're using that you're not generating on your own. Well, that would be my argument if I was a city person, like a city electrical person. Well, I don't know. It it just gets complicated when it's, when it's when money when money got involved. It's it's Ooh, complicated. It's a lot. Hey, whose side are you on? I was just saying, if I was that, I'm I'm playing devil's advocate. Power to the people. Uh, okay. Okay. I'm just being. I'm I'm just saying. Okay. If I was that person or that company. Yep. That's that monopoly. Argue. That's what I would argue. Utilities warn that as solar panel use spreads. They lose more customers, and they will have to raise prices, which in turn will push more people to go off the grid. And they're calling this the uh, the utility death spiral. Which is a super metal name and just makes me want to get solar power. <laughs> it's unclear how much uh, costs have shifted so far, but an analysis of the Rocky Mountain Institute, a nonpartisan energy research organization, estimated that utilities in the northeastern United States could lose up to $15 billion by 2030 as more and more customers switch to solar power. That is a lot of money. Okay, well, it is. $15 billion. <laughs> this increasing pressure on the grid comes at a time, as energy expert Brian Warshe points out, that, that the U.S. economy is more dependent on reliable, affordable electricity than ever before. I mean, you hear it all the time in the news. We need to be less dependent on foreign oil and more energy conscious at home and blah, 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 blah. Rising prices would hurt consumers and businesses while utilities that are unable to make the billions of dollars worth of needed investments could suffer more power outages, which are estimated to cost tens of billions of dollars annually. So to make up for lost revenue, some utilities have imposed new fees or restrictions on solar users like what we were talking about with Steffi. 
Another option is for utilities to get into the renewable business themselves. What an idea. The largest U.S. utility, North Carolina's Duke Energy, began integrating wind and solar into its network in 2007. Much of the increase in solar power capacity has been driven by utilities rather than homeowners. Historically, most utilities controlled everything from the power plant all the way to the household, the electric socket, where we plugged in. In 1978, Congress passed legislation to partially deregulate the sector, allowing for non-utility power generators to enter the market. And that 1992 Energy Policy Act allowed further deregulation, especially the separation of power generation or like wholesale markets from transmission and distribution, which are the retail markets. The ostensible purpose of these efforts was to promote competition and lower energy prices. However, the 2000-2001 California energy crisis raised questions about such restructurings after state reforms led to higher prices energy shortages, and the near bankruptcy of major utilities. So today, oversight of the grid is the responsibility of a patchwork of federal and state authorities. That 2005 Energy Policy Act that we talked about earlier, uh, it designated the Department of Energy's Federal Energy Regulatory Commission, or FERC, F-E-R-C, as the primary authority over power generation and transmission across the United States. However, jurisdiction of local level retail power and distribution, which actually delivers the power to the end users or us remains in the hands of state and municipal governments. It's so confusing. Like yeah. there's this, but let's there's also much, that, but let, let's see how much we can complicate this. It is so complicated. In 1970, the clean air act gave the agency authority to limit air pollution under the auspices of that law, the Barack Obama administration tried to implement sweeping standards for power plant emissions with a uh, with its 2015 clean power plan, part of a larger effort to move the power sector away from the coal and gas towards more renewable sources of energy. But the plan faced court challenges and never took effect. So in June 2022, the Supreme Court ruled that Congress had not granted the EPA the authority to impose sector-wide rules for power plant emissions, though the EPA can continue to regulate em- emissions from individual plants. The smart grid refers to a suite of technologies that allow for greater responsiveness in connecting power producers and the consumers, these switching stations, that the, the interconnects. So according to the U.S. Department of Energy, which has made building a smart grid a national policy goal, it comprises digital technology that allows for two-way communication between the utility and its customers, as well as, as, well as sensing along the transmission line. So basically, they're just trying to figure out where the power needs to be, and they, they have more technolo- technolo- probably have wi- the technology. Probably through Wi-Fi. Probably. Yeah. Thanks, Hedy. Yeah. A smart grid system can increase reliability and reduce power outages. Special meters on houses and businesses and sensors along transmission lines can constantly monitor supply and demand, while mailbox-sized devices, known as synchrophasers, measure the flow of electricity through the grid in real time, allowing operators to foresee and avoid disruptions. Just like... Christmas vacation. 
This Boom. is so complicated. Like, this is so beyond my scope of understanding. <laughs> Smart appliances can talk to the grid and shift electricity use to off-peak times, which eases the burden on the grid, ultimately lowering prices and helping to avoid blackouts. Hmm. I wonder if that's like your Nest thermometers. I don't know. Uh, maybe. I don't know. Decentralized microgrids can be paired with new battery technology to allow power to flow to communities even when severe weather or other outages affect the broader power system. And that's what we talked about earlier at the very beginning of this episode. There's ways to store energy now, mm. which before Thomas and... and uh, who Nicola was, and yeah, those George. Guys, yeah, they, could, they couldn't do it then. Yep. Extreme weather events are increasingly a top concern. Hurricanes, blizzards, floods, heat waves, wildfires, and even solar flares can overwhelm aging power lines that are out there right now. The average age of power plants is over 30 years old, while power transformers are on more on the average of 40 years old. In addition, most of the grid infrastructure is built above ground which is cheaper to construct, but more vulnerable. And let's an go, eyesore. And an eyesore. And let's go back to episode 93 in EMP, and that's part of the yeah. problem. But most of the time, though, in the winter, you'll see the power companies going out, and they're chopping down trees over the power lines because mm-hmm. when it gets ice on the trees and snow and stuff like that, they fall over, and you read, you know, 1,500 people are without power over in Xenia or something like that. Yeah. You had so, to pick Xenia, didn't you? Over in Riverside. <laughs> Those er- tornadoes. Yeah. So an example of the power failures are in 2021 in Texas, and that's like a prime example. They got overwhelmed. Yeah, the temperatures in the state dropped to 30-year lows, disabling multiple sources of power generation just as demand for heating surged. The result was widespread blackouts that left millions of people without power during a devastating winter storm and dozens of people died. The state is now rethinking its hands-off approach to energy regulation, which allows utilities to avoid winterizing their equipment. In California, meanwhile, rising temperatures contributed to rolling blackouts in the summer of 2020, the state's first such outages in nearly two decades of its production and transmission. Yeah. So this is a... I think where we can start talking about it's it sucks because the grid is old and needs fixed, but more people are spending less money on the electric power grid because they're putting in their own but renewable energy in their house. But now we have the push to we go have al- the death spiral. Yeah, and but now we also have the push of electric cars or EVs, mm-hmm. which is going to put a huge strain on the system. Yeah. So, you know, is the cart going before the horse? Do we need to fix this before we do this? I don't know. That's, We're all doomed. Yeah. Those, those smart people have, have got to figure this out. That's all there is to it. We're just all doomed. Yeah. The end. Go back to episode 93. Yeah. The problem is that the energy grid was designed for a world that no longer exists, says senior fellow Alice C. Hill, who was the senior director for resiliency policy on the National Security Council. To prevent future disasters, utilities will need to harden grid infrastructure, Hill says. That could include burying power lines or making sure that above-ground poles are fire-resistant. Now, can I ask you real quick? You lived in Germany for some time, and their power lines are predominantly underground, right? 
Not or all a of lo- them. A lot of them? A lot of them are. Do they have the same issues that we do with blackouts and I, and things? I can't remember. Like do you the, remember? The, ma- the major lines go from the plants, and you see those running everywhere. Ah, okay. Because that was one of the things as an engineer, if... if if the Soviet horde came across the border as an engineer, a lot of our missiles are um, wire guided. And oh. so part of our job would go out there and cut those power lines down so the missiles could fly without. Huh. Yeah. All right. Back to the story. <laughs> the cost of inaction are high, she says, noting that the Texas blackouts are estimated to have cost the state $90 billion, not to. That's not even including the the people that died because of that. Yeah. Put a price on that. Yeah, right. You can't. Renewable energy sources have their own vulnerabilities. Solar power production in Australia fell sharply during the devastating wildfires of 2019 and 2020. We talked about them, too. As smoke and soot blocked out the sun. No, we didn't. We, we saw that on uh, if we were death, to <laughs> death to 2020. 2020. Um, yeah, that was right at the beginning. That was uh, that didn't last, but I mean, I'm sure it lasted longer than a minute. But then here comes COVID and the world shut down and everybody forgot about those wildfires. But uh, they didn't have power in Australia because of them. Additionally, the growing reliance of the grid on digital systems increases the possibility of those cyber attacks that we keep talking about. Recent reports from the United States Government Accountability Office warned that the grid's generation, transmission, and distribution systems are all increasingly vulnerable to cyber intrusions. Since the 1970s, grid operators have relied on electronic industrial control centers that are generally unsecured against malware, such as the Stuxnet virus, which targeted Iranian nuclear facilities in 2010. Not to scare you, but... In 2019, the United States grid was hit by a cyber attack for the first time, that they say, though it did not cause any power disruptions. But meanwhile, in May 2021, a ransomware attack forced one of the largest oil pipelines in the United States to temporarily shut down. I remember remember that. that, Because gas prices went up. Yep. Attacks on the United States power grid have been the subject of extremist chatter for some time, Notably ticking up in 2020, the same year, a 14-page how-to on low-tech attacks, including assaulting power grids with guns, circulated amongst extremist communication channels. A Department of Homeland Security bulletin reported by CNN just days before a weekend attack on a North Carolina substation indicated that there was a heightened threat posed by domestic violent extremists in the United States against targets, including critical infrastructure. The electric grid has been described as a, quote, attractive target for domestic violent extremists in the U.S., CNN reported earlier this year, citing an intelligence report. Now, that 14-page document uh, that came out in 2020 was released in a telegram channel that was favored by white supremacists. It was an inst- that instruction guide on how to, um, like, basically rain down chaos with power grid attacks with guns. Um, And and this is a direct quote. The power grid would be crippled for a very large area. Armor-piercing rounds shot into the transformer would destroy them. Is basically, like, that's what this white supremacist how to take over a power grid with guns said. It's insane to me. But anyway, the writer goes on to frame how massive blackouts would aid in the toppling of society, which is a key accelerationist goal. Again, a quote. 
with the power off, I'm sorry, this is, it's not funny, but it's just so ignorant that with the power off, when the lights don't come back on, all hell will break loose, making conditions desirable for our race to once again take back what is ours, the document reads. Several unique attempts to attack various grids have been cited by intelligence officials that analyze these specific threats. Investigators discovered a four-rotor drone on July 16, 2020 in Pennsylvania recovered from the roof of a power station, according to a DHS bulletin in October 2021. The drone had nylon cords that that dangled below, holding (laughs) a two-foot section of copper wire. And the investigative theory is that the drone was to hover over the live high-voltage wires, then make contact with the lines with the copper wire it dangled and short out the station, according to the intelligence briefing. And it just terrifies me that if that would have worked, like these crazy extremist extremist morons would basically shut down the power grid with a drone and some copper wire. That seems a little. Hey, we're vulnerable. In May 2020, three people claiming to be Boogaloo adherents allegedly conspired to attack an electrical substation in Las Vegas as part of an attempt to incite riots and violence among demonstrations in the city. What is a boogaloo? So the boogaloo movement, those are people who, like what we've been talking about, they're often referred to as boogaloo boys or boogaloo boys. With a Z? Yeah. It's it's a loosely organized, far-right, anti-government extremist movement in the United States it's also been described as a militia. So it sounds pe- like a children's program. So people. Yeah. So people in this are preparing for, or they want to incite uh, a second American civil war, <sighs> or an, an, another American revolution, which they call the Boogaloo or the Boog. <laughs> the Boog. Yep. Yeah. The suspects were charged with conspiracy to damage and destroy by fire and explosives and with possession of unregistered firearms. A DHS bulletin indicated that there was heightened threat posed by domestic violent extremists in the United States against, in part, critical infrastructure targets. On November 30th, the DHS renewed a national bulletin warning that lone offenders in small groups motivated by a range of ideological beliefs and personal grievances pose a lethal threat to the United States. Now, this is just... The homegrown people. We're not yeah. talking, you know, go back to episode like 93. Like the real terrorists. When, yeah, when we go back to the other vulnerabilities that we have. This yeah. is just the homegrown guys. The advisory said in part, quote, DHS maintained that potential targets include, but are not limited to, public gatherings, faith-based institutions, the LGBTQIA plus community, schools, racial and religious minorities, government facilities and personnel, U.S. critical infrastructure at the media, and perceived ideological opponents. So, in other words, they're willing to kill the religious and children. The no, they don't want to think like them. Unsolved case of the attack on the Metcalf Pacific Gas and Electric Substation in Coyote, California, on April 16, 2013, set the bar for these types of attacks and has been a case study for intelligence officials. According to several in-person briefings on this attack, two underground vaults were entered where fiber optic cables were cut, breaking down phone and internet service for much of the area. Shortly after, at 1 a.m., over 100 rounds fired at the station by snipers hit key transformers and an oil drum that caused 52,000 gallons of oil meant to cool the high-voltage transformers to leak. 
The plant overheated, causing an alarm to go off. Authorities believe the timing suggests they may have been monitoring the police radio because they had been firing for almost 20 minutes before leaving. The vulnerabilities of the power grid have been closely examined by the, US, by the Department of Energy, DHS, and Congress. Well, to fix this, according to the National Research Council, they have been tasked by Congress to examine these vulnerabilities. Well, I hope they can fix them because what they're, I mean, they're not, honestly, like, killing children is, and, and it is, it's not just, when you, when you think of attacking the power grid, like, that's death for people. People that are on ventilators, people that are, you know, depend, they are an energy people dependent freeze, machines. People freeze to death, yeah. So you, you're killing people, essentially. Yeah. Uh, so let's talk about the Zimmer power plant. They're just probably not smart enough to think about that. I'm sure they don't sound very smart. Um, so this story highlights the complications and the red tape of a power plant with maybe um, some added complications. Yeah, just the power plant, not all the other stuff we've been talking right, about. Yeah. Just the power plant. So the William H. Zimmer power station was supposed to be a nuclear power plant located near Moscow, Ohio, roughly 30 miles from Cincinnati. We drove around that today. We did. This, I hope I said that right. I hope it's Moscow and not Moscow. Yeah, because we, we, we say have a things town, weird. We have a town up here. R-U-S-S-I-A. Which most people would say Russia, but we don't say that. It's Rushi. Rushi. It's Rushi. So I don't know if it's Moscow or Moscow, whatever, but it's near Cincinnati. The Cincinnati Gas and Electric Company, the DPNL, Dame Power and Light, and the Columbus and Southern Ohio Electric Company jointly own the plant. Originally, the plant was to cost $230 million to build. However, the nuclear power scare at Three Mile Island in Pennsylvania led to increased costs for building and operating nuclear power plants. An FBI investigation of the construction of the Zimmer plant began in 1978. A worker charged that a welding contractor did defective work below nuclear safety standards. Uh, the, the, the lawyers placed blame on the contractor for not picking up on the defective work. In 1980, the Chicago Sun-Times reported accusations of a cover-up of uh, time card falsifications and the installation of defective piping in one of the plant's safety systems. As a result, the Nuclear Regulatory Commission fined CG&E $200,000 for a faulty quality assurance program in 1981. Although once estimated to be 97% complete, Costs for the Zimmer power station skyrocketed to over $3.4 billion. Now, How remember, $3.4 billion. 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 Yeah, originally it was supposed to be $230 million. Now it's $3.4 billion. It's like that bridge over the Ohio River is oh, going to do. It's ridiculous. For these reasons, the three companies decided to switch the plant from a nuclear one to a coal burning plant. So it'd be a little bit cheaper. The Zimmer power station, once completed in the 1990s, was able to produce more electricity at a lower cost than the originally proposed nuclear plant. Nature also contributed to the story of the plant because a tornado ripped through town and Moscow's scene reported or repeated flooding throughout the years. Well, this plant is right on the river. Yeah. It is right on. That's how they get their coal. They bring it right there right. up the, by the boats. Yep. The years of uh, the Zimmer power plant was going to remain open but its days were numbered, an announcement signaled, and it's time to start counting the days. Vistra announced it would shut down its Zimmer power plant in the village of Moscow, Ohio, by May 31st, 2022. Originally, it was supposed to operate until 2027. 
However, we drove by it today, and, and it's, it's still it's, going. It's still going. Uh, the Zimmer side is supposed to be evaluated for potential investments in renewables or grid-scale battery storage, that te- new technology, mm-hmm. that DC stuff. Did we mention the FBI investigated this plant? <sighs> there you have it. It's just, I I understand very little of what we talked about <laughs> in this episode because I just can't wrap my brain around it. Like, it's so complicated, and I... Shout out to the people who do this stuff for us day in, day out, provide us energy and do stuff that I am way not prepared to even. If it it was just the people out there to produce the electricity and get it to us, but then you get the politics, the business and all that stuff. It just gets so daggone complicated. So, but next time you flip the switch to turn on the lights, you're going to know the effort it takes to turn on that light. So yeah. like everything else, the complexity of it was just something that I so, took for granted. Yeah, so don't yeah, don't take it for granted, but we haven't even gone back to those coal miners who are digging that oh, coal yeah. to Black produce. Lung, you have all we need to do a mining like a mining mining episode, not yeah. just like the not yeah. the uh yeah. Like the shootout minings and the coal towns and yeah. stuff, but we need to talk about mining and but we got people that can talk about that. I'm sitting right across from one of them. Yeah, but you know what? We take this stuff for granted when we flip that light switch. But it's dangerous work, too. Mining coal and working with electricity, like, it's dangerous stuff. So thank you to the people that enable us to turn on a light and have power. And and you see, whenever there's a hurricane down south or whenever the tornadoes were up here. Linemen, yeah. The the linemen... Those high power linemen, which we I have a cousin that does this stuff. It's it's dangerous work. They're out there working in the weather and the elements mm-hmm. to keep that power coming so that we can have that because people have to have their their medical stuff. They have to have the electricity for right. heat to cook. It's yeah. There, there's a lot of work that goes into this stuff. And you know, it's it's going to get more and more complicated because, you know, a lot of the discussion without getting political on any of this is like let's let's use the EV cars. People are going to say, well, you know, we we need the EV because it's going to reduce our our our, our dependency emissions. on fossil fuels. Well, and the emissions, I think, is the big thing too. Yeah. Like it's but not then, so much air pollution. But then the counter people will say is, you know what though? It still takes the fossil fuels to make the plastic for the batteries or whatever, and and, 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 and yeah, and to, to produce electricity. And right now. The, we don't have the the structure in there for solar, for wind. That takes up a lot of land. It does. And we were talking about it this morning, and I said, I wonder if there is some kind of a crop that you could use. To the, grow in the shade? Well, <laughs> I don't know. I, I mean, I don't know crops either. So, like, I don't know if there's some kind of way that you could plant crops in a solar field or in you could in, like, a turbine field. But Turbine field, possibly. But also, it... You pointed out that like it's still going to take even if you're if you're making those wind turbines from steel, you still need the coal to make the steel. If you're making it from plastic, you still need those fossil oil, fuel, oil you, from you, plastic. So like it's you can't get away from these things. Yeah, I mean it could be reduced, but you know, but there's right. but there's technologies that are coming up. I mean, there's a law of physics that says you can't have perpetual motion, but that's based kind of on today's technology because there are laws of physics that have been disproven and they're no longer laws of physics. That and was a theory well, then. Well, well, it was a law at the time. 
So it wasn't a theory. It was it was what they believed is this is the law can't be true. Mm. Look, I, I googled what it. What even is truth? I I googled it. It's it has to do with I it, it has to do true. with true. I googled it. It has to do with quantum physics and mathematics, Again, and it's like there, there's no way I could even attempt to explain that. But I'm just saying people are so freaking smart. But there, there's other technologies that while we may not get to perpetual motion, but there's other technologies that. There, some of the no, in, in, like in the highways, like going down the interstate, the new highways could be built with a like a magnet underneath that. That is, the EVs drive over that, it will charge the cars as they go, and that's yeah. being experimented with. People it, are smoked. Yeah. Listen, I just want to sit here in my nice little house with my dogs and my fireplace. And flip the light. And flip the light. And I appreciate everything that you do. I just don't want to think about it. This stuff boggles my mind. I don't want to think about it. It hurts my brain. Yeah. Anyway, that, you know what? That's <sighs> enough I can't. Of yes, my head please. Hurt. My this head was, hurts. This okay. is one of the hardest episodes ever. Kim. How do they get hold of us if they want to? I don't to even know To tell us anymore. how wrong we are. I don't even know. <laughs> if you have an idea about perpetual motion. Keep it to yourself. Email it to us. <laughs> you can write us at alosthour at gmail.com. We also have a website, anhourofyourlife.com. Uh, what else? Oh, we have social media, Facebook, Instagram. Um, that's pretty much it. Yeah. <laughs> I don't even know. What is even life? I can't. My brain is done. What is true? Yeah, I, I just read some articles about that Chinese balloon. <laughs> Aliens. I don't. I'm feeling very uh, pessimistic and skeptical right now on so much stuff. Just disillusioned with the world. <laughs> yeah. But yeah. Anyway, I think that's it. Yeah. So I got the morbs now. Thanks, Steve. Got the morbs now. <laughs> yeah. So you know what? <laughs> <laughs> oh well. It's cold out there. It no, actually, it's warm. It is warm. Whatever. Can we just end the show? Yeah. So, from our studio <laughs> in Sugar Creek Township. Thanks for spending an hour of your life with us. Sources this week include EIA.gov, the EPA, CFR.org, Ohio History Central, CNN, the Cincinnati Inquirer, and the Claremont Times.